So am I actually going to answer the question in this podcast, Does God Exist? And pull off the thing that countless number of scientists and philosophers and theologians couldn't do? I think I am. I'm the lead pastor of V1 Church. My name is Mike Signorelli. Thank you so much for hitting that play button and tuning in this week to the second installment of our new series, Read Receipts. I'm going to tell you the story of how I went from Mighty Mike. That's what they called me as a teenager. I started preaching at 15, traveled all over the Midwest, medically verified miracles happened when I prayed for people, to then becoming a a first-generation college student and eventually a full-blown atheist. And then my journey back to what I call a true faith in God with science and reason and philosophy and theology all working together. And this service was so powerful that at the conclusion of this service, there were people leaving their atheism in the theater. I had somebody shaking literally as a result of what was communicated. So you've got to make it to the end of this message. I'll see you on the other side of it. But without further ado, this is part two of Read Receipts. V1, I miss you. <laughs> we went on a special mission, and uh, we, we came out of our hangar. We dropped some atomic bombs of the Holy Spirit down in Ukraine. And I don't have time to, to update you now about it, but needless to say, we ended up getting into a venue that the last church that had been in this venue in Ukraine was in 1992 after the fall of the Soviet Union. We did a V1 service identical to this one, except for it was all in Ukrainian and Russian, which it didn't translate as it, welcome home translated to welcome to home. Sorry about that, Ukraine. Um, but, but the thing that was so incredible about it is that when we preached that sermon, man, when I got to the end, I said, on the count of three, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come to this altar and accept Jesus. And before I got to three, young people from that entire standing room only auditorium begin to flood those altars and accept Jesus. Isn't that incredible? And there's so much more. So officially last week, we had three services across two countries. Isn't that amazing? And the only reason why Pastor Julie and I went is because we got up ahead of you and laid some spiritual railroad tracks so that you can get your butt there and do what God's called you to do. So shout out to all my Ukrainian family. I had introduced myself, Mihailo Mikhailovich, Michael, son of Michael. Isn't that so formal? <laughs> but anyways, we don't have time for that. <laughs> For those of you visiting, welcome to V1 Church. Uh, We want to welcome you to home as well today. And um, anyone have their Bibles? Anyone ready to take some notes and jump in today? Man, I just, you know, let me, can I just be very transparent with you? Can I just be vulnerable? Somebody said always. You know, when I told pastors that we were going to do a series called Read Receipts, and we were going to try to tackle some of the hardest questions that we face in Christendom. Do you know that I actually had a lot of pastors tell me not to do this? They actually said, like, are you crazy? You can't do that. It's going to open up this Pandora's box. You're going to have to infinitely explain all these questions and answers. And it's going to start all this sideways energy and division in your church. There's no way that you can do a series like that. And I'm like, why are you afraid? Because when I read the Bible... I don't see Jesus pontificating from a stage giving the grand monologue. He did have moments where he monologued, but I also see him in the midst of people allowing them the opportunity to ask him any question, the very questions of their heart. 
And it was a dialogue with Jesus. And so if you're asking Pastor Mike WWJD, he would do a series called Read Receipts and tackle some hard questions. And I am very aware, I have to submit to this intellectually, that it's pretty crazy to try to answer a question, does God exist in the confines of 30 minutes in a movie theater? But I do believe that something special can happen if I invite you into the mystery. If I invite you into the, you know, sometimes when you talk about doubt, doubt disappears. And I think so many pastors and so many Christians are afraid that if we talk about doubt, doubt grows. But sometimes there's a closeness and an intimacy that happens when you look at someone else and you say, you know, for as much as I raised my hand, for as much as I shouted everyone down during that V1 service, I have these atheistic tendencies in my own heart. And they say, yeah, I doubt sometimes too. And I think that part of the reason why our churches aren't exploding from the seams every single week is because it's been a monologue for too long. And maybe we haven't been vulnerable enough to say, hey, I struggle too. And so I want to just open it up today and give you an opportunity to, to, just, to just jump in this with me. Is that all right? Okay, so, you know, what makes a really good question is the fact that half of it is the answer. And when you have this question, does God exist? The latter half of it in and of itself is an answer. It's a demand of humanity. God exists. And I think the reason why this question is so ubiquitous in culture, why it's transcended continents and time and eras and time and history is because we all want so desperately to know that there's got to be something more. I mean, it's like threaded through our very DNA and our existence to ask the question, is there more? I mean, it's why civilizations across history have told stories about gods, these creatures, these beings with abilities far beyond our own that can save us from our own calamity, right? And, and we're still doing it. Even in our movie theaters, we're telling the story of Superman and Marvel and DC. Where's my Marvel fans at? We got any, where's my DC family at? Oh, sounds like an even split. We're going to have to fight it out after service. But we tell these stories because we so desperately long to believe that there's something or someone bigger than us that can save us from this mess that we've made. And our society, our culture, humanity is still telling those stories, whether it's on a silver screen, whether it's in some remote village in Latin America, we're telling these stories about there has to be something more. And so today, I just want to tell you that I believe there is something more, but I've got to tell you that I didn't always believe that. I think the reason why I'm so willing to jump in it like I am is because I actually uh, went through a phase in my life where I identified as an atheist and a real one. And I wanted to tell you about that before. But, but first, what I want to tell you is uh, Ravi Zacharias, he says this. Um, he said, to sustain the belief that there is no God. Atheism has to demonstrate infinite knowledge, which is tantamount to saying, I have infinite knowledge that there is no being in existence with infinite knowledge. Sorry about you. C.S. Lewis said, now listen, before I read this one, you don't have to go to V1 Church, but don't attend any church that doesn't quote C.S. Lewis at least once a year, all right? <laughs> Atheism turns out to be too simple. If the whole universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning. 
What's the Bible say about it? Colossians chapter two, verse eight says, be careful not to allow anyone to captivate you through an empty, deceitful philosophy that is according to human traditions and the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Now, let me back up. Let me tell you about how I was raised. I was raised in Hammond, Indiana, and we attended these small little storefront churches. Have you ever been to one like that? I mean, we, we shouted, we cried. People played the tambourine in the audience. You know what a tambourine is? Now, don't you dare bring one next week, okay? Because nobody, the person who brings a tambourine is never the person who can keep time with it, all right? We will lovingly remove you from service if you bring a tambourine. But we had tam- if you're good at it, we might put you on stage and give you, uh, and we'll mic it up. But the rest of you will kick you out. <laughs> but we had tambourines. We had people that would actually make their own flags. And we had, fl- I mean, we were, we were just a small little, you know, spirit-filled church. And really, I, there, I don't know whoever really was in charge. It was basically whoever was the loudest. <laughs> People would start praying, and we, you know, and we had a good old time for three, all three and a half hours of the service. <laughs> Could never figure out why the church didn't grow, right? We tried to convince ourselves that it was we were preaching the pure gospel. No, people were hungry. It was a four-hour service, okay? It's not conducive to church growth. It had nothing to do with the pure gospel. People were scared of our flags and our tambourines. <laughs> and you know what's funny is being raised in those kind of churches, the one question that never came up, the one service that we never had was the service, does God exist? Because that was square number one. That was like the basis of our entire existence was, of course, he exists. And so right now, you're sitting in a church service that I've never had before. I'm doing something as a lead pastor I've never been subjected for, to by any lead pastor I've ever had. And I've had some good ones. My pastor's Dave Gargano at Road to Life, and they're celebrating their seventh birthday as a church today, right now. Great church. We're living in their yes, and you're living in my yes. And if you'll finally say yes, somebody else will live in yours. But I believe that I've got to try to tell you my story. So um, I'm, I'm raising these small storefront churches and we just, you know, had a spiritual, sometimes it was spiritual, sometimes it was just emotional. Can we be real? <laughs> right? And we got all fired up and we did. And then we would just do that on repeat every single year. Well, all of a sudden, when I got to be 15 years old, I came out of the vacation Bible school that my mom was running. Can you imagine my mom running a vacation Bible school if you know her, by the way? <laughs> Speak in tongues, children. And they're like, I don't know what to do. (laughs) So I come out of there, and all of a sudden, this woman who comes to pick up their kid from the neighborhood has her face goes ghost white. And she's like, ay, Dios mío. We were in a Hispanic neighborhood. (laughs) I had a dream about you. I've never met you before, but you preached at my home church. I seen your face in my dream, and there was a revival that took place, and people got healed and saved. And I'm like, woman, you're crazy. I'm going to do that. And so anyways, long story short, I ended up doing it. But here's my point in telling that story. At 15 years old, at the conclusion of my very first sermon I ever preached, this woman brought her kid up to me. who was four years old, and she was born with a decrepit arm from birth. I laid my hand at 15 years old with no formal theological training and had never preached before on that little girl's head and said, God, heal her. And her hand straightened like this. And the place went berserk. 
And for years, that woman would call me w once a year on the anniversary of that date to thank me again for praying for her daughter as if I did something. We know it was God, right? Then I'm telling you why I'm telling you the story. Now, fast forward, I, I started preaching all over the Midwest from Indiana to Tulsa, Oklahoma and back. And now I'm 17 years old. Side note, I had dreadlocks. It was fun. Remember that in the 90s? Remember that? Jinko jeans, dreadlocks, tribal hoodie. Y'all don't know. Y'all don't know. Everyone's like revolting, like throwing up in their mouth. And I had preached all over. And I'm 17 years old, and I'm preaching now in this small church in Gary, Indiana, the birthplace of Michael Jackson himself. And all of a sudden, I preach this, like, 15-minute sermon. Now, I was just, at that point, just emulating the best of the best of what I experienced as a child. You know, growing up in church, I was emulating that, the Christian culture of charismatic Christianity. I just screamed, preached, and foamed from the mouth, and I shouted, and I said stuff, and I, we, you know, we ran, you know. Um, I just... <laughs> You just did, you know, Jericho March, you know, and I preached this 15 minute sermon. And then all of a sudden I said, you know what? We're just going to begin to pray. A miracle is going to happen today. And my, I mean, my faith was just at the pinnacle of, of what the apex of what it could ever have been at that stage of life. And so we've been to pray. Now I had this, I have this on tape and I mean, tape day. We had these things called a cassette tape kids and you loaded them into this deck and you press the record button. It was a physical thing. So uh, about 20 minutes into this just extreme prayer, this woman just starts screaming and running all around the church building. She comes up to stage and, to the stage and she says to me, she's yelling at me. She's like, I was born deaf in this ear. De I've ne and it, as you begin to pray, the pressure in my ear built up to the point where it finally popped open and I'm hearing out of my ear for the first time in my life. And again, the place went crazy. So this, these were my experiences seeing the God of miracles. It was normal for me. I expected it. Inside of my insulated bubble of blue-collar, poverty-stricken Northwest Indiana, this was life. This was what Christianity was. And then fast forward, I end up becoming the very first college student on both sides of my family. And I, I decided to go to Indiana University, Bloomington, and it's a Big Ten university with 30,000 students. And I'm now sitting in my very first introductory level bio class. And I have the God's Not Dead movie moment before the movie came out. All the lame Christians are like, I, okay, I know. <laughs> but what happened was this professor gets up there and he says, I'm going to use the, the entirety of this semester to convince you why God doesn't exist. Now, what I heard, because they called me Mighty Mike, mind you, when I preached all over in the miracles, my nickname was Mighty Mike. And I was like this youth preacher that preached all over. That was like my identity before going to college. So when, I, when this professor got up, this is what I heard. Let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, baby, I'm waiting for you. And I had it in my heart, like, I am going to convince this guy. He is not seeing the God of miracles. He don't know what I know. And do you know that about six months into that class, I had completely abandoned my faith, and I now was identifying as an atheist myself. And here's what happened to my logic. This was the logic. My, the logic that I had was I was raised amongst all these well-meaning, good people, good yet ignorant Ignorance different than stupid, right? 
Ignorant just means you don't know. So my logic was, you have all of these intelligent, educated people who don't believe in God, and then you have ignorant, well-meaning, just country folk from Indiana who do. And so as you increase in your intelligence, you decrease in your belief in God. And so naturally, what would happen was this professor who is the first intelligent person I met, I felt, you know, as a first-generation college student. Of course, he doesn't believe in God, and he just began to navigate that. I don't even know that it was okay for IU to let him use his, his position like that, but he did. And so here's the thing, though, and here's what I want to tell you. When you pick an apple off of an apple tree, you have a stem, that stem is connected to a branch. That branch is connected to a trunk. And then the roots of that trunk go down to the ground, right? Are you following me? So what happened in my mind and my intellect was the root was scientific and philosophical. So I started going on a very, when you trace back, like what, what was produced in my life at 18 was atheism. And it was such a strong thing that I was under that it really, I was able to dismiss both of those stories that I just told you about the physical miracles that happened. I was able to explain them with scientific and natural phenomenon. And then when I traced it back, the root of it was scientific and philosophical because those were the seeds that that professor sowed in my life. So here's what happened. I started going on the most intense journey I could to know what I know. And I was willing enough to be intellectually honest enough to walk away from cultural Christianity and the way that I was raised to know what I know. And that journey was so intense. And what happened was this. I actually started a group in my dorm called Spirituality Talks. Because I'm like, you know what? I've got people from all over the world at this international campus in Bloomington at IU, and I can ask them what they believe and why. Do you know that I put flyers up around the university and it started with 20 people, and within a month and a half, we were already filling up a large auditorium? And all we did was share what do you believe and why. And we had Hindus, atheists, agnostics, Greek, Orthodox, Catholic, all one thing. And we were just saying, hey, we're all in college. Let's go on this journey. Well, IU found out about that. And then I was approached by Indiana University, and they said, hey, we've heard about the spirituality, spirituality talks you're doing and, and how successful it's being on campus. What if we trained you this summer and the next school year you come back as a professor, like a junior professor, and people can take your class for accreditation where you do a survey of all the world religions here on campus? So I did that. So my junior year of college, I was Professor Mike Signorelli, and I got paid by IU to teach world religions. Why do I say that? Because a lot of what people tell me is atheism in their life doesn't have scientific and philosophical roots because I don't see evidence of that in their journey. When I ask people, okay, you're struggling with disbelief, what books have you read? And they say, I've only watched conspiracy theory YouTube videos. There's your sign. <laughs> well, why don't you believe in God? Well, I saw this really compelling meme on Instagram. Totally just disrupted my entire walk with Christ. And then I went down this meme rabbit trail, and my God, totally destroyed my faith. Memes. Memes and YouTube videos. And I think, it's, I think for me, I was able to look back through the corridors of time and say, man, it was a real philosophical and scientific wrestling because it manifested itself to the point where I was actually teaching a class at IU from it my junior year. But here's what also began to happen. 
What also began to happen is God began to set me up. Because the Bible says that if you knock on the door, it'll be opened. If you ask, if you seek, you're going to find. And see, if you're on a journey to find truth, you're going to find truth. Now, it might be a winding, confusing road that your friends and family don't understand. But if you are a true truth seeker here in this space, watching online, listening to the podcast, you will find the truth. And for me, I was willing to completely abandon all of it. And I think that that was evidenced by the fact that I was on a real journey You know, can I just tell you what, as a pastor, most of the question, does God really exist, really amount to? I'm mad at church people who hurt me. Because if it was science, you'd be reading science, but you don't read science. If it was philosophy, you'd be reading philosophy. You don't read philosophy. You just hate people who feel that you feel are ambassadors of faith because they hurt you. We live in a world where we're so fractured and completely devastated in the realm of the image of father that even saying a prayer and conjuring up the phrase, our father, causes people to cringe. If God's anything like that abusive stepfather I had, no thank you. If Mike Signorelli as a pastor is anything like the men who left and abandoned my home, no thank you. It's only a matter of time before he does it to me too. And you call it atheism. You know what I call it? A wound. You call it doubt. You know what I call it? Hurt. Now, maybe it is. And, and for me, it was intellectual. Let me, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 19 says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Since it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the reasonings of the wise are meaningless. Uh, Psalm chapter 14, verse 1 says this. The fool says in his heart, God does not exist. They are corrupt. They do vile deeds, and there is none that do good. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 19 says, For God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness and those who in their wickedness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God himself has made it plain to them. Billy Graham famously said this, Can you see God? You haven't seen him. I've never seen the wind. I see the effects of the wind, but I've never seen the wind. There's a mystery to it. You know, we can't see God with our own eyes. You know how absurd it is for some people in this room who struggle with doubt for us to be, I see you move, you move the mountains, and everyone's like, oh, I see. And people are like, I've never even seen God, and now you are just chanting this song about how not only have you seen God, but you've seen him move physical mountains. And there's a level of absurdity to it to people who struggle in this area. But I'm here to tell you that I've never seen the wind But Billy Graham says, I've seen the effects of the wind. I've never seen God, but I tell you, I've seen the effects of God. And what happened in my own personal life was this. So junior year, I'm doing this survey. I'm teaching the survey course for Indiana University, doing my tour. And I decide to move off campus out of a dorm to a house at the corner of Atwater in Jordan in Bloomington, Indiana. And I moved in with three like brand new you know, roommates. I didn't know them before. And we're introducing ourselves to each other. And all of a sudden, one of them says, hi, my name's Lamont King Black. This is his real name. What an awesome name. Lamont King Black. And he's like, I'm an Ivy League educated theologian. And I'm here at Indiana University to get my doctorate in a whole nother discipline. And then you know what God said to me? It's a setup. 
I got you. <laughs> and, I, and all of a sudden, he begins to take me. I mean, he finds out. He's like, so let me get this straight. You've prayed for people. They've been healed. You went all over through the Midwest preaching the gospel. Then all of a sudden, you take this bio class. It completely derails you from your faith. Now, all of a sudden, you're teaching this class on behalf of Bloomington to take people on their journey as well. And you're still struggling with atheism. What is it that you're struggling with? And over the course of that school year, Lamont King Black began to take me systematically through the scriptures, through science, through reason, through philosophy and begin to show me this other side that my mom's faith and my mom's religion and the small storefront church experience that I had had never showed me ever existed. And you know, it was funny because at the same time, uh, that, movie, that movie came out, The Passion of the Christ. You guys remember that? And when that trailer hit, again, God said, it's a setup. I'm coming for you, Mike. <laughs> I'm coming for you. And you know, Lamont began to tell me about this guy named Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was an award-winning investigative journalist based out of Chicago, and he worked for the Chicago Tribune. He was only an hour away from where I lived in Northwest Indiana, but I didn't know he existed. And, and see, what happened was that professor never told me the other side of the coin. See, it's very easy to be so dismissive of Christian and the Christian faith when you don't know what artillery we're really packing. And sometimes you can come to church every single week and not be let into this whole other sphere of influence where you know that there are people in disciplines across many different spheres that have actually went on this same journey and know what they know. Lee Strobel was one of them. Guess what happened with him? He was an award-winning investigative journalist. His wife accepted Christ, and he said, man, this is a problem for me because I'm an atheist, and so I'm going to use all of my abilities to disprove the legitimacy of the New Testament, and I'm going to disprove it from a historical perspective. I'm, going to, I'm just going to just eradicate anything in her mind that would convince her that this thing is true, and guess what happened to this award-winning investigative journalist as he went on that journey to disprove the accuracy of the Bible? Guess what happened? He became a Christian. <laughs> he became a Christian. And years later, they made a, a film about his life. It actually aired, and you can watch it on Netflix when you go home after church. And I didn't know about that. He began to tell me, uh, I don't know if you've heard about this. There was, a, there was this leading neuro, neuroscientist, neurosurgeon in America who um, was a staunch atheist himself. And when, he, when people had near-death experiences, for me, I don't know if you guys ever binge watch some weird stuff. You ever get down there? I love near-death experience stuff, you know, and people's claims about what's happened and, and all that. Well, this guy was a leading neuroscientist, and what he was saying as a, an atheist was that when people have near-death experiences, that they died, and then they encountered God, and they experienced heaven, it was just the brain being activated under stress and releasing chemicals and hormones and producing that experience. It's just a biological function. That's all it is. Well, guess what happened? He gets a virus that virus infects the part of the brain that he said produces that phenomenon, and then he goes into a coma and dies. And then guess what he reports when he comes out of the coma and they revive him uh, days later? I went to heaven and met God, and that's a problem. <laughs> Because I told people that couldn't happen because he's looking at the scans, and, and you can read this book. It's called Proof of Heaven. 
He's looking at the scans, realizing that the very proof of evidence that he stood on to corroborate his own atheism was the very thing that by God's divine will was taken away from him because that virus infected and shut down that part of his brain. And he still went to heaven and had that experience and was so changed by it. He wrote a book and he's championing the cause of Christ now all over the world. And I didn't know about that when that Indiana University professor used the entire semester to tell me God didn't exist. And you know, probably the biggest influence on me was a man named Dr. Hugh Ross. And he talks about the fine tuning of the universe because he's an astrophysicist. And as an astrophysicist, he looks across the expanses of space and the universe and, and he tries to understand the mechanisms, mechanisms by which it's all being governed. And it was so interesting as Lamont began to take me on that journey and begin to show me that because of the fine tuning of the universe, that the mathematical probabilities of this all being random chance, it's, you, you need more faith to be an atheist than you do to be a theist. I almost titled this talk, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Let me read you this. Earth seems more than simply the pick of the litter, the planet selected from the creator searching through the vastness of the cosmos for life's best home. Rather, the remoteness of the probability of finding a planet fit for life, one chance in 10 to the 100 or 1032nd, suggests that the creator personally and specifically designed and constructed our galaxy cluster, our sun, each of the sun's planets and belts and asteroids and comets, Earth's collider, the moon, and Earth, all for life. Which means. If everything is so intimately and delicately, delicately hanging in this mathematical possibility that even by a fraction of a difference, none of this would exist the way that we know it, can I just tell you that your life has a purpose and a destiny? You are not an accident. You know, you hear that phrase all the time. I and mean, we were in Ukraine surrounded by orphans. You hear that phrase, you're an accident. Well, can I just tell you, we can have sex, but only God can give life. You are not an accident. And I, I needed Dr. Hugh Ross in the 90s as a result of new discoveries in the, the realm of astrophysics. There was actually a movement of thousands of astrophysicists that were actually coming into a knowledge of Jesus Christ because these new discoveries were pointing to the fact that there must be, because of the cosmological constant, because of the fine-tuning of the universe, there has to be a, a creator. And then they said, but we need to look at the Hindu Vedas. We need to look at the different religious books to see, does, do any of these books corroborate what we now know in modern astrophysics? And you know what happened? They said the Hebrew account of creation lines up. And so if that means that the Hebrew account of creation lines up with what we now know in astrophysics, what else does that book say? And Dr. Hugh Ross says, oh no, it says that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Therefore, I must receive him as such. And he crossed that line. They started a website called reasons.org. You can go visit it today. And they, and they continue to update that website on the regular. But here's my point. My point is this. God wants to deal with even your Christian atheism. Because all of us, all of us have these doubts. And I think that instead of being so scared about these doubts, we've got to enter into that mystery because Darkness can scare you 
or darkness can invite you into the intrigue. And, you know, it's funny because what keeps me married is this thought that there's still more about Julie I don't know. What keeps me intimate with her is this idea that I'm entering in to the unknown. I'm, I'm, I'm getting to grapple with her on a mental and emotional level to say that there's still more to the depths of her being. And, and so for far too long, we've treated the, the darkness of ignorance and the unknown as something to be afraid of. But I believe that God is on the other side of the void, inviting us in to say, be intimate with me. Come into this space where we openly talk. And if you go back to the garden back in the garden it was a question that caused the distance between us and God it was Satan showing up in the form of a serpent saying did God really say that and I don't believe that God would have had any problem with Eve saying God this serpent came to me and posed this question what do you say about the matter and the real original sin was taking the question to the wrong person because she went to Adam with it. They should have took that thing to God and said, the serpent came with this question. What do you say, God? And see, when God shows back up on the scene in the book of Genesis, all of a sudden, he's saying, where are you? He knew where they were. He was talking about their position, not their location. Today, God's asking you, where are you? He's talking about your position. You used to be close with me but you haven't gotten farther away. You've gotten closer to the truth because what happens is this, when you take your questions to God, all of a sudden you complete the circuitry of intimacy. What happened was God had to send a second Adam to model for us what to do with questions. The second Adam's name was Jesus. He showed up and guess what the second Adam did when Downing Thomas came to him and said, I just don't understand all this. How could it possibly be true? He didn't get excommunicated. He didn't get in trouble. He didn't get rebuked. You know what Jesus did? He invited him into the intimacy and the proximity of relationship and said, get a little bit closer because I got some proof to show you. Get a little bit closer because these nail scarred hands are about to tell you a story of my goodness and my love for you. And if you're struggling with doubt today, the same Jesus that told Thomas, get a little closer. He's telling you now, come on, get a little closer. I've got all the evidence you need. I'll use Dr. Hugh Ross and the astrophysicist. I'll use Dr. Eben Alexander and the neuroscientist. But I'll also use the wonder and the grandeur of my creation through nature and make it plain for you. But don't call it atheism if it's a wound. Don't call it atheism if it's hurt. So here's what happened for me. All of a sudden, I'm talking to Lamont King Black. He unravels the last bit of that ball of yarn of questions that I have. And then I decided to go to the movie theater and I decided to go see that movie, The Passion of Christ, my junior year of college. And this is not Mighty Mike. This is Atheist Mike Signorelli. And I walk into that movie theater skeptical. And all of a sudden, I sit down. And as they got to the scenes, they begin to show the mutilated Christ being beaten, tortured, utterly destroyed. I mean, like the meat of his back just fully exposed. All of a sudden, I had all the information that I could receive, but... In that moment, I started to get a revelation about who Jesus was. And I began to sit in my seat. And all of a sudden, it started to overwhelm me like, oh, wow, 
And the only words I could conjure up were these words. These are the first words that came out of me when I, when I began to rededicate my life to Christ because I started to have this realization, man, and this is the only thing I could say over and over again. Oh, and it started off as just a, a whisper and it got louder in that movie theater. I said, my mom was right. <laughs> my mom was right. My mom was right. My mom was right. My mom was right. And I was laughing and I was crying because I was being overwhelmed. My mom, she didn't know science. My mom wasn't educated like that. My mom didn't know. But the same Jesus that took her through the seasons of her life, the same Jesus that walked with her, the same Jesus that answered her prayers was now visiting me in that movie theater. And all I could do was laugh and cry and say, my mom was right. My mom was right. And I'm here to tell somebody here that you may have walked away for a season feeling like this thing is archaic. It's antiquated. It's not relevant anymore. But the same Jesus that helped some of your family get through some hard times, he's here for you too. And maybe they're not as intelligent as you. Maybe they don't get it the way that you get it. But the truth is still the truth, whether you understand it or you don't. And Jesus is still the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forevermore. And I'm here to tell you that the same old time religion that worked back then is going to work today. And the same Jesus that they needed is the same Jesus that you need. Would you stand to your feet? I believe that what God wants to do is to deepen your faith. Many of you have said, oh, I'm going to dismiss my faith, but God's saying, I want to deepen your faith. Because see, what I came out of Indiana University with was I came out with a faith that honors science, philosophy, reason, and it honors the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes I go into regions and I'm like, let's sit down with the translator. Let's reason together. And sometimes I come into regions and I say, it's time to see a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know for you where you're at today, but I believe that God has met you where you're at. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he draws close to the brokenhearted. And whereas you would think that your wounds, your hurts, your brokenheartedness would take you farther away, he's closer to you now. He's closer to you now. He's closer to you right now. Just draw near to him. When you ask that question, does God exist? You're partly demanding God exist, exist. Right now, I wanna challenge you. I wanna challenge you to take that step. I wanna challenge you to, to say, God, I don't have to have it all figured out. By definition, there's a wisdom in being the unseen God. Because if he was visible, we would all try to make idols after him. But there's a wisdom in the unseen God. 
It's better his way. The Bible says his thoughts are higher than your thoughts. His ways are higher than your ways. It's better his way. And the foolishness of man would try to convince you otherwise, but you don't want a God that looks like the God that you can conjure up. You don't want a God that sounds like the God that you can conjure up. You want an infinite God, infinite in wisdom, infinite in good and full of mercy and grace and justice and might in all of his ways. And there's a wisdom to his ways the sovereignty to the way that he moves who he heals what and what doesn't get healed and how things are sorted out and it might seem like chaos to you but right now I'm going to ask you to take the same step of faith that it would take to become an atheist to become a believer in Jesus Christ because both of them have to stand in front of an invisible staircase and go out and say, I choose to believe this with the same set of data. Both of them. The same astrophysicists that were subjected to the same information. One chose Jesus, one didn't. You know, can I just tell you one more story real quick? Well, we're closing out. Is that all right? We were in Ukraine and I just wanted a big cup of American coffee, okay? Can I be honest? Eastern Europe is all about their espresso espresso and and the best job i could do at faking them out and again i wanted like a venti mega huge starbucks coffee right and the best i could talk them into was like a double espresso so julie is meeting with this woman or whatever and so i'm like i need to go get caffeinated so i walk into this uh cafe and as I walk in, there's this choir in the sound system, like they're playing music through it, and they're singing this song. And the song that they're singing is, and it's in English, and they're saying, you're walking out of the darkness and you're walking into the light. And I'm like, man, I just walked up into the only Christian cafe in all of Uzgorod, Ukraine. So then I, I basically don't speak any other English than fake Spanish and English, okay? So I go in this cafe and I'm like, hey, who's here speaks English? Because I need to communicate to you how to help me with my American consumerism and make me a big cup of coffee. And everyone's like, we, you know, knows we don't speak English, right? So then I tried to do sign language for big coffee. And it was funny because they made me a double espresso again. And I'm like, ah. And I sat down and that's, that song continued to play. I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, this is what it's like for most people. There's a song of freedom in the atmosphere. You're coming out of the darkness and into the light. But see, just like in that cafe, nobody spoke English, so nobody could understand what was being said. So even though that song was giving so much freedom, so much hope, they didn't have the ability to interpret that song that was being played on that sound system. Now I'm sitting there being filled with this hope, being filled with faith as this song is singing. We're coming out of darkness and into the light and I'm looking around and it's having no effect on any of the Ukrainians because they do not understand the language. So for me to tell you today, does God exist? There's a song of freedom in the atmosphere right now. 
There's a song of salvation in the atmosphere right now. And unless the Holy Spirit interprets it for you, it will sound like nonsense. It's the reason why you can be with someone right now visiting this church, and then you're looking at them and you can't, and they're bawling their eyes out, having one of the craziest encounters with God they've ever had in their life, and you're like this, what's going on? Because you don't have the language to actually interpret the supernatural realm that's happening all around you. So here's what's getting ready to happen. I'm going to be your interpreter right now. And the song that's in the atmosphere right now is saying, it's time to come out of darkness. It's time to come out of slavery and bondage to sin. I'm interpreting. There's a song in the atmosphere right now. And I'm here to tell you that the song of freedom is being sung over you right now. There is somebody, maybe it's somebody next to you. This is the moment of salvation. This is when you say yes to Jesus. This is when you say yes to God. This is when you take your first step. So with every eye closed right now, if you're here and you're saying, Pastor Mike, I think I hear that song of freedom. I, I think there has been something articulated in my heart today. Would you just raise your hand and say, I do want to take my first step. I want to accept Christ. I, I want to take my first step to accept God. Raise your hand high so I can see it. Come on, you can put your hands down. Just take a look at me right now. Now, from my vantage point, I saw hands go up. I believe it's people who said, I'll trade my atheism for a spiritual family. I'll trade my doubts for a journey. I'll trade my hurt for a relationship. And I believe right now as we say this prayer all together, there's gonna be a huge celebration. I believe that chains are gonna fall off. Do you guys believe that in one moment you can say a prayer that will disrupt your life forever? Does anyone believe that? Has anyone here ever prayed that one prayer that the chains fell down and by the time you got to amen, you knew that you were never gonna be the same again? Years and years ago, I walked out of a movie theater after watching The Passion of the Christ and I left my atheism on the seat. And years later, God knew I was going to be back in a movie theater compelling people, leave your atheism at the seat today. Some of the people that have doubted you, man, this is, a, this is a prophetic word for somebody. Some of the people who have doubted you, I want you to hear me. I don't know where you are in this theater, but maybe your family said they'll never be a Christian. They'll never serve God. Maybe you're going to be a pastor. Maybe there's a Mike Signorelli in this room right now. Maybe this is your passion of the Christ moment. Maybe there's somebody here who felt like you're the least qualified. I am painfully introverted. And I, every single week I sweat like a dog up here because this is not my nature. But I don't let my nature determine my destiny. If God says go, I'm, I went. And I don't care what you think your disposition or your nature is. God doesn't want your excuse. He wants your yes. Just say yes to him and then let him do the rest. It got me this far, and it got me to a standing room auditorium in Ukraine, flooding the altars with young people who said their yes to last week, and today's your turn. And so if you raise your hand or maybe you miss your opportunity, I want to give you another chance. Where's my prayer team at? <laughs> we got the prayer team up in the back waiting for you. We're going to pray this prayer all together, okay? I want you to just believe it with your heart, 
And then I want you to take a step to go visit the prayer team and let them pray for you and get your information and get you connected to someone who can continue to answer your questions. Let's all pray. You ready? I'm telling you, somebody, you are about to witness a miracle. Somebody is about, this is different than every other week. There is something different. I don't know if it's somebody watching online right now. I, there's something different about this moment we're about to make. I'm just telling you right now, somebody is literally about to abandon atheism, right? I just feel it, okay? I just, I'm telling you, this is not, let's go through the motions. This is a Holy Spirit divine appointment for somebody. You are shifting over right now. You ready? You ready, church? Are all my Christians ready to help pray this out too? All right, let's use one voice. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus. I receive the cross, your forgiveness. I take my step into intimacy to know you more. Take all my doubts. Take everything. I give you my life. And today, I finally give you my yes. My yes. My yes. Somebody shout. What an incredible message. What an incredible revelation from God. If you got this far, if you got to the end, I believe that something changed radically in your life. I mean, I was talking to a young man today who went from a Christian family, abandoned his faith, actually went beyond atheism into Satanism and said he didn't even feel like God could ever even accept him again. And yet at the conclusion of this service that you just heard, rededicated his life back back to God and he's on that journey now and I don't know what happened to you I believe there's many stories as a result of this podcast from all over the United States and all over the world and I want to give you an opportunity to tell your story you've got to go to our website it's www.v1.church and I want you to send us a message through our website and let us know what happened as a result of this message hit us up on social media we're on Instagram at v1church we're on Facebook if you search V1 Church and we want to hear from you. We want to hear your story and I cannot wait for next week's message from Read Receipts. I'll see you then.